My name's David Pfizer. I'm the student pastor here at LifePoint Church, and it, is a, it really is a privilege to be able just to be up here and, and preach about Jesus, man. It doesn't get better than this. Amen? Amen. And so we are in a series called More Than Conquerors, where we are just going through Romans 8. And last week, what we learned, the amazing truth in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning that we are no longer condemned, we are no longer viewed as guilty, we are declared innocent and righteous because of Christ Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. And not only is that great news, but then the great, uh, even greater news is this, is that God has given us his Holy Spirit as our weapon to help us not just conquer um, maybe death, but to, uh, to conquer the battles that we face on a daily basis. And so today, we want to go further into that. And we want to, I want to show you how the Holy Spirit, as our weapon, he reminds us of our standing. He reminds us of who we are. And because of when we know who we are, that, my friends, will give us hope. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 14 today. If you don't have your Bibles, it's in your bulletin, and we'll, we'll throw it up on the screen. So let me read our passage, and then we will get into this. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, re uh, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, come before you, God, with a heart uh, full of thanksgiving, and we praise you, God, for bringing us together. And God, I just pray, Lord, um, that my frail and that my feeble and that my weak words, God, that you could use those, Lord, for your glory and for our good. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us 
hearts that will be open, God, to what you have in store for us today. And we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, church, during the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, um, during the construction, 23 people fell to their death. And so I guess it took, I don't know why it took 23, but after 23, they had this bright idea that maybe we should put a safety net underneath the construction of the bridge. And so they built this construction net under the bridge, and interestingly enough, 10 people still fell, but they were saved by that net. And then what they noticed was this, even better was what they noticed was this, is that 25% more work was accomplished after that net was installed. So you get that 25% more work. Why? Because the men had the assurance of their safety and they were free to wholeheartedly serve the project. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that us? You know, we know God has declared there's no condemnation. We know that Jesus is victorious. We know that he's coming back, that all things are going to be good. And still, we are still uncertain of our standing. We are still insecure. We are still unsure if we, you and I can win the battles that are in front of us. It's like we forget that there's a safety net. We forget that we have a standing I was talking to a friend even yesterday. He's a professor out in Portland. And he was like, man, David, I've been, I've been insecure because um, my school has refused to put me on the tenure track. And yeah, I got renewed by, uh, for a contract for one more year. But one of my other peers, he was on a contract basis and he was just let go. And so it's hard working there because I just don't know where I stand. And church, that's us. We say we believe these things, but in our heart of hearts, we don't know where we stand. We don't feel that security. We don't feel that safety net. But I want to tell you this. Paul, in this passage, says it loud and says it clear, and he blasts it. He says, let me tell you where you stand, church. You are children of God. You have been adopted by him. You have been chosen God, he doesn't say, not everyone is a child of God, all right? The Bible says it clear that we are born into wrath, that we are born disobeying God, that we're born not wanting anything to do with God, and yet out of his goodness, out of his grace, God adopts us. And we didn't pick that, right? Like if you're an orphan, you can't just make yourself adopted. It's the parents, it's the adopter who says, you are into my family. And so for today, what I want us to do, what I want us to focus on is this. I want us to kind of just marinate and and meditate and focus on the standing that we have with our Lord and Savior, that we are children of God. So what does that necessarily mean? What does it mean? What does it look like? What are the, the characteristics of being a child of God? Well, first off, write this down. First off, to be a child of God means you are led by the Holy Spirit. You are led by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, how do you know if you are being led by the Holy Spirit, right? It's like, okay, I'm a child of God. Well, how do I know that I'm a child of God? Well, you're led by the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I know that I'm being led by the Holy Spirit? I mean, it could be really tricky. You know, when we were in New Orleans, a funny story happened. Uh, we had the stomach bug going around, 
And uh, this one girl got it, and then she gave it to our leader. And so we were scared to death that we were all just going to be puking our guts out in New Orleans. And so our adult leader, she feels like she's about to throw up, and then she prays to God, and she's like, I've been healed. I feel the spirit, right? And she comes to us. She's like, guys, we don't have to worry about this stomach bug anymore. I feel great. And then five minutes later, she was puking, okay? (laughs) So we just viewed her as the sacrificial lamb, okay? She took it for the rest of us, right? But it's hard to know if you're being led by the Spirit of God. Let's just be honest. It's really tricky. So how do we know? Well, you have to look at verse 13. Let me just read this to you. Verse 13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die according to the flesh. But if you're by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You know if you are being led by the Holy Spirit, if you are hell-bent on killing sin in your life. You know if you are led by God, if you hate sin and you love what God loves. That's what that means. Another way of putting it is this, is you are a mature person if you know that you are immature, right? People who are immature think they're mature. That's what makes them immature, right? But if you are mature, you understand, I have a lot of flaws and there are things I need to work on. For someone to be wise, they, they understand there's a lot more things that I need to learn. And for someone to be Christian is understanding I got sin, I have issues in my life, and yet I want to purge this. I want to be like Jesus. I want to get rid of this stuff. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. I was talking to one of my accountability partners one day, and he confessed to me some sin, and he was really beaten up by it. And he, he kind of gave in to one of his vices, And he confessed his sin to me. He confessed his sin to leaders. He had to step down from leadership, from the ministry that he was serving in. And he was just beating himself up about it. And he was like, man, I just want to tell you this. And I just told him, I was like, listen, man. Like, first off, I forgive you. God forgives you. But you don't need to think that you've lost your standing with God. The person who is not being led by the Spirit is going to commit any sin he wants, and he's not even going to feel bad about it. The person who is has, being led by the Spirit of God has the courage to confess to his leaders, the courage to confess with his friends, and man, I fell, but I'm getting back up, and I'm going to keep going. That church, is that us? Can you and I honestly say, That the driving force, that the guiding principle in your life is the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. We're not perfect. But I'm saying that when you fall, and it doesn't matter how many times you fall, but when you fall, that you want to get back up and you want to keep following the vision that God has placed before you. And if you can say yes to that, Paul says you're a child of God. You're being led by the Holy Spirit. And so a child of God, the first thing about it, the first characteristic is is you're led by the Spirit. But the second characteristic is this, is that you have an intimate relationship. You have an intimacy, all right? You have, um, it's not a formal relationship. You have an informal relationship with God. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Guys, this is how you know that you're not a child of God, because you view God as some master or some boss or some teacher that you have to perform for, okay? Listen, I don't care how buddy-buddy you are with your employer. The moment you stop performing consistently is the moment that you're kicked out the door. Right? I don't care how buddy-buddy you are with your teachers, right? The moment you fail, right? Like, you don't have that relationship. It's, it's, uh, to not be a child of God is to view God as someone you have to perform to. It's this formal relationship, right? But to be a child of God is to know that, yeah, he's your Lord. Yes, he's your master. But most importantly, he's your father. And look what Paul says. It says, by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. And many of you have heard this before. Abba means daddy, right? It's a child term. Papa, daddy. You don't say, oh God, oh Reverend Most High, right? It says, dad, (laughs) right? And then get this circle that we're in that verse 15. says, cry. We cry, Abba, Father. We cry. That word cry means to, to be in pain, to be scared, to feel insecure. And so you can just cry to God because you know that he is near and you know that he is here. You know, the relationship between a child and his father is the most unique, most intimate relationship. I mean, let me give you an example of this. Like, for example, if it was like 3 a.m. in the morning, imagine it's 3 a.m., right? And say my wife wakes me up at like 3 a.m. in the morning and says, sweetheart, you know, can you get me a drink of water? I would say, I would say, dear, um, um, you are a grown, independent woman who don't need no man, okay? You go get that water yourself, all right? Just go for it, right? And we might not talk for the next few days because I said that, but that's how we would all feel, right? But if a kid walks in, your own child, your own flesh and blood walks in and just says, Mommy, Daddy, I need a cup of water, what are you, you're going to get them the cup of water, Because they're your kid. And that's the beautiful relationship about a kid with his father is that you can just barge in anytime you want and cry out knowing that your dad is going to help you. I remember I was walking down these halls one day and I walked into my dad's office. My dad wasn't there, so I talked to his admin. I was like, hey, where's dad? Oh, he's not here. You need to to schedule an appointment with him. And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Do you know who you're talking to here, right? You know, I am, I'm Georgia's son, okay? Uh, but we have that. That's the type of relationship. That's the type of intimacy. To know that you're a child of God knows that you can cry out to God. But here's the cool thing. This is the beautiful thing. This is the thing that, man, has been the coolest thing for me this week is this. Is that next we know that we, have, we can have confidence that as we cry out to him, we know God will cry back to us. We can have a confidence. Look at this. Look at verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Circle that word, bears witness to. What's interesting is, you know, God is not this boss. He's not this teacher. I mean, we have this, he's our father, and we can cry out to him, but then God will cry back to us. 
The word says, it says bear witness. That word bear witness is like, a, it's a legal term. It means that if someone was condemning you in court and spreading lies and false accusations, it's for that, that witness to come in and declare before the courtroom that you are innocent, that you are guilt-free, that you didn't commit the crime, that you were loved. And the beautiful thing about being a child of God is this, is that the Spirit, as you cry to Him, the Spirit of God will cry back into your heart, telling you that you are loved and that you are cherished. A great story of this truth is the story of Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody was a famous pastor evangelist in the 1800s. And uh, one day, he had these two church ladies come to him, and they said, uh, you know, Pastor Moody, you need... You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not tapping into the Spirit like, like you should be tapping into. And so Dwight Moody's like, okay, fine, cool. So he was on this trip to go to London to do some church conference or some um, kind of yeah, some ministry event. And, and he's walking, uh, of all places, Wall Street. And this is his story. Let me read this to you. As in the midst of the bustle and hurry of that city, his prayer was answered. The power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street and he had to hurry off to the house of a friend and ask that he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours and the Holy Spirit came upon him, filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand lest he die on the spot from very joy. Do you guys catch that? Moody, he when he... The Spirit cried out into his heart, and he was so overwhelmed with joy that he locked himself into the room and told God to stop because he thought he was going to be overcome with joy to the point of death. As the beautiful thing about our God is that he will cry in your hearts that you are loved. For me, I remember when I was 27 years old, my first church, they asked me to be the senior pastor and I was scared to death. And I didn't know my standing, I didn't know my future, I didn't know what was ahead of me, and so I drove up the central coast, and I walked out on this pier in San Simeon, and I said, God, I need you, and I remember just in the calmest whisper, just God reminded me, and he just said, be still and know that I am God. And I'll never forget that. And that was all I needed to know because I knew that I was loved and that God was going to do his work. You know, some of you guys, you guys are feeling insecure and you are feeling, you don't feel like you can make it and you don't feel that you are loved. But the Spirit of God, if you cry out to him, I don't know if it'll be in a week, I don't know if it'll be in a month, but the Spirit of God will cry out to you and remind you that you are his. I love that famous hymn, Blessed Assurance, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his Spirit and wash in his blood, the Spirit of God in your moments of deepest need will stir in your heart and says, I got you. And so do you guys see the confidence that you can have? Do you see the confidence of being a child of God? And then lastly, this, this, the last part of being a child of God is this, is that you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Look at verse 17. 
Look at verse 17. And Paul says this, And if children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified in him. Paul says, guys, listen up. You, are, you have an inheritance. All right? You are guaranteed an inheritance. There is nothing you can do to lose your inheritance. What is to come is going to be something so great, so grand, the Bible says we will be able to rule with Christ, we will be able to enjoy God and creation for eternity, and there is nothing you can do to lose that. All right, my dad consistently threatens me that he's going to cut me out of his will, okay? Anytime I do something, I'm cutting you out of my will. It's like, whatever. I got mom on my side, right? But listen, you know, even our inheritance is here. Like the stock market could crash. The banks could collapse. Things could happen, right? But the inheritance that God gives us will never spoil, will never fade. We are guaranteed it. Now, what does our standing have to do with hope? How does our standing now thus affect how we live? It affects everything. Knowing that you have received an inheritance, knowing that you are a child of God, knowing that you are adopted, that you can never be pulled from his arms, knowing that, church, will give you hope. It will give you hope for the battles that you will be facing today. Guaranteed. How is that possible? First off this, our inheritance, our standing with God means that the future will outweigh the present. The future will outweigh the present. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. This is what Paul is saying. He is saying, guys, you and I are going to suffer. He says, we share in Christ's sufferings. If you are a child of God, that means you are going to share in Jesus' sufferings. You're going to share in the pattern of Jesus' life, all right? That might be a shocker for you, but listen, any person who says, if you give your life to Christ, your life is going to be easy, that's a load of hogwash, okay? Paul says it very clearly. We will share in his sufferings. We will share in the pattern of Jesus. And what was the pattern of Jesus? Jesus, although he was God, the most perfect human being ever, he suffered. He experienced loneliness. He experienced grief. He experienced suffering. He experienced rejection and alienation. And yet he was faithful and obedient through it all to the point of death. But what did God do with Jesus' sufferings? What did God do with Jesus' death? He gave us the greatest gift that we, you and I can know, which is salvation with him. Reconciliation. I mean, imagine, church, if you were there and you saw Jesus Christ dying on that cross, you would think this is absolutely the worst thing that could ever happen in human history, that humanity would kill God. And yet, what did God do with Jesus' sufferings? He turned it into something so beautiful, so glorious, which is our salvation. And if God can do that with Jesus, what can he do with your suffering? How, can he, how will he resurrect your pain and your trials? 
You guys, you know an acorn? One acorn has the ability to create a beautiful forest of oak trees. But in order for that to happen, it has to be buried in the ground and die. And as that acorn dies, a beautiful forest comes. Church, that's the trajectory. That's the trajectory of your life. That's the hope that we have. And many of you right now are feeling overburdened and stressed and anxious with your parents or anxious with your kids or anxious in your marriages or anxious at work. And you're crying out and you say, God, what good could come from this? But how, look, guys, God uses the worst things in this world. He uses the, the pain and the suffering and he turns them into something beautiful. And that should give you hope. And when you have hope, hope changes the game. Hope changes how you live. Doesn't it not? I mean, a person who has hope compared to a person who doesn't have hope have completely different dispositions and attitudes towards life. Let me, let me give you an example. Imagine there are two people, all right? Imagine there are two people who were assigned the horrible task of cleaning college freshman community bathrooms, all right? You guys remember those? All right, I lived at West Hall at UNT, man. I was an RA, and we had, to sh we had community bathrooms, and we would walk into those things, and man, like, you know, Bourbon Street was the smell of sin. This, yeah, this was a, a whole nother smell, okay? I mean, it was a disaster. The funny thing, though, was there was always one stall that was, like, untouched. It was like, me and my friends, we called it the sanctuary. It was like the place of rest, right? But, uh, but I always felt sorry for the guy who had to clean those things, man. I mean, it was just disgusting and filthy. But imagine you had two people who had to clean those for, say, 60 hours a week for 12 months. One person was paid, let's say, $15,000, but the other person was paid $15 million. Who's going to be more joyful cleaning those bathrooms, right? Person's gonna the person making $15 million is going to smell that. It's like, oh, this is the smell of uh, my money cashing in, right? This is, the sm this is the smell of wealth coming to me right now, right? I mean, listen, he's dealing with the same job, and yet he has a completely different attitude. Do you see how hope changes things? You and I, when we face our battles, we don't have hope because we think that whatever we're facing is the end, but it's not. And you and I, because of our standing, we should have hope. And let me tell you what that hope means. That hope means that, that our inheritance, is, it means that, that one day, one day, you and I will find our true home. Write that down. You and I will find our true home home. Paul keeps going here. Um, look at verse 19. Paul says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Circle that word groaning. Paul says, you know, right now in our present day, our world is groaning, 
all right? And that word groaning, what it means is it's, it's, it refers to a woman who is crying during childbirth. It's the pains and the cries of childbirth. It also refers to the, to the soldier in the battlefield who is crying at the devastation in front of him, who's crying at the loss that he sees, who's crying from the pain that he's experiencing. And Paul says that creation is groaning. Why? Because sin has entered into this world. Because things are broken. Because things aren't as it should be. And everywhere you go, you kind of have these hints and you have these previews and you have these foretastes, but nothing ever satisfies. Let me show you how this kind of groaning manifests itself. It's like, you guys remember that first concert you ever went to? Remember that first, my first concert was Pearl Jam. Eddie Vedder, I went with my brother Matt, and I remember listening to uh, Eddie Vedder sing. I got to shake Eddie Vedder's hand, man. Um, I hope you guys, that's a 90s reference. You guys should know who Pearl Jam is, okay? Um, and I, man, I was like the best experience ever. But then I remember seeing them the second time. Same music, same venue, same person I was with, and yet, it wasn't as good, right? And there was, there's always that kind of feeling of kind of emptiness. It's like looking at pictures of your kids when they're little kids, right? And you get those feelings of warmth and those, feel, those memories come back and you have that joy. But then there's always that sense of loss because now they're just really hairy and overweight and they don't have jobs and they're living in your basement, right? And it's just like things aren't... Things aren't how they used to be. It's like going to your childhood home and, and you're just looking at that house and you see, you're reminded of all the memories and all the good times and the Christmases and the Thanksgivings and you have those flashbacks. And then, but then you realize that it's not your house anymore. That no matter how hard you try, you can never get that back. It, it's a groaning. It's a cry of loss. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. He paints this picture so well. Let me read. This is from The Weight of Glory. He says, The books are the music in which we thought the beauty was located and will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, the good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they will turn into dumb idols breaking their hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. They are the only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. See what he's saying? We, yeah, we, we, we have these memories and we have these smells and we have these, these pleasures, but it's, it's, it's just hearing of a country that we've never visited. It's smelling of a flower that we've never found. And there's groaning. But the good news, church, is this, is that when Jesus Christ returns, creation will be set free. And all the wrongs will be righted. And all the sad things will become untrue. And all the nightmares will be turned into beautiful dreams. And everything will be as it should be. And not only will you regain what was lost, but I absolutely believe that you will be able to do the things that your heart has always wanted to do, but you never even could. 
Tim Keller says you'll, you'll be able to sing that song that you were never quite able to sing. You'll be able to write that book that you were never able to write. You'll be able to visit that country that you were never able to visit because, church, let me tell you, our home is not us floating away up into heaven. See, Revelation says this, is that in the end, heaven comes down to earth. And that is our home. And everything will be as it should be. And I want you to know that the, the desires in your hearts, that you're kind of scared that will never come true, when Jesus returns, those things will be satisfied. And not only will creation, not only will we find our true home, but this is even better, is that you in, in eternity, you will become the person that you were made to be. You will become the person that you were made to be. Look at verse 23. Paul says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption of the sons, the redemption of our bodies. Underline that, that phrase, the redemption of our bodies. Guys, what's hard right now is, you know, Paul says it, and it's true. We all experience it. We're groaning on the inside. We feel this call to be greater, don't we? We feel this call to, to conquer. We feel this call to do great and glorious things for our God. And yet we groan because we know of the sin that so easily entangles of our lives of the lusts of the flesh that just rob us of joy, that rob us of relationships, that rob us of the redemptive potential that God wants you and I to fulfill. And we get discouraged. But the beautiful thing is that when Jesus Christ returns, that bondage, that flesh, you will be set free. And I believe this, that one day in heaven, a loved one will come up to you or you will come up to a loved one and they will look at you and they will say, oh, there it is. There you are. That's the person I knew was always there. That's the person that I saw that it was just kind of swallowed and drowned with fear and with anxiety and with lust and with addictions, but now that is gone. And here it is you, the beautiful person that I always saw. That's who you're going to be. The person who is freed from the cares, free from the stresses, the person who is going to be redeemed. C.S. Lewis says that, man, God will turn us weak and frail creatures into something so beautiful, something so splendid that we will be this bright, stainless mirror that reflects perfectly back the glory of God. Church, do you believe that? This world is full of troubles. This world, we make mistakes and we get discouraged, but we have a hope. We have a hope that that's not always going to be the case. And it's that hope, church, it's that hope that can give you patience. Write that word down, patience. Look at verse 20, 24. It says, for in hope, um, <clears throat> for in this hope we were saved. Now, 
hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not say, we see, we wait for it in patience. And, and guys, what I, what I want to encourage you with is whatever you're facing, whatever battle you're experiencing, lay a, put, put the hope of eternity in your hearts. You know, Jesus says it's for the joy that was set before him that he was able to go to the cross. And when you know what's ahead, it will give you patience. But here's the deal. I, I know some of you guys will be like, man, David, this is great, right? Yeah, this is great, my standing. You know, okay, I'm, I've received an inheritance. I've received, uh, I have this intimate relationship with God. I have this confidence. I know that God is going to make all things good. I know that he's going to bring me home, yada, yada, yada. But let's be honest, it's, it's so hard to apply that, right? And we kind of just question, does this stuff, how does this really help? How can I know for sure? How can I know for sure that this is reality? How can I put all my eggs in this basket? How can I cling to this? How can I be, how can I know that God will really help me? How can I know that God will really come through? How do I really know that that safety net is there, that I can stand with confidence no matter what is happening? You know, at this end of this passage, what's interesting is we see that the help of God, and what we see is that the Spirit groans for us. The Spirit groans. And why is that interesting? I mean, how, how is it that a God who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is everywhere, who's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, how can he groan? How can he be like the woman crying at the pains of childbirth? How can he be like the soldier crying at the loss of battlefield, crying at the loss that death is staring in his face? How can God be like that? It's because we know he entered into it. We know that God left his son, Jesus Christ, left his standing with his father. And he entered into the groanings of this world. He entered into the groanings of our pain, of our sorrow, of our grief, of our worries. And he lived that with us. And in Mark chapter 7, there's this one miracle story of, of Jesus healing a deaf man. And right before he heals is he prays to his God, and, and the scripture says that he sighs, but the Greek really means that he's groaning. He's groaning in pain. That we have a Savior who groans, and he didn't just groan then, but he took it all the way to the cross. And what we see at the cross, and we see Jesus with his arms outstretched wide, and he groans, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you know what's interesting about that is that's not just a saying. That's Jesus is quoting Scripture. He's quoting Scripture. And he's quoting Psalm 22. And what it says, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it continues, says, Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? See, at the cross, Jesus groans. And yet he's not hurt. He cries. And 
no one answers him. Why? Because he was absorbing the guilt and the wrath that you and I deserved, that you and I should have received. He absorbed the pain and the shame and the loss and the wrath and lost the standing. He was forsaken on that cross so that you and I will never be forsaken. He was ripped from the arms of his father so that you and I could be embraced and be called the child of God. He lost that intimacy and he cried and he was not heard so that when you and I cry, we know for certain that God will hear us and he will respond to us and treat us like a child, like the child that he so loves. Jesus lost his standing. He lost his position. He lost his glory. He lost his inheritance on that cross so that you and I could receive an inheritance, so that you and I could stand before God for eternity and rule alongside him and enjoy the life that he had always meant for it to be. We ask, how do I know that God will really help me? How do I really know that these groanings that I can sustain, that I can survive? See your Savior groaning for you. See your Savior crying for you. See your Savior losing his standing so that you and I can stand for eternity. And when you know that, you and I can face any battle that comes our way. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, God, you, uh, you to cry out, Lord, through your spirit in our hearts that we are yours, that we've been purchased, that we've been ransomed, Lord, that we are no longer condemned, but even better, God, that we're not just forgiven, but that we are called your sons, that we are called your daughters, that we can cry out to you, God, and we know you will hear us, that we can cry out to you, and we know you will comfort us, God. And God, you have put eternity in our hearts through your spirit. And God, we go through this world with our struggles, with our battles, with our vices, and we get discouraged, and we lose heart, and we want to throw in the towel. And yet, God, it's your standing, it's your inheritance that you've given us, Lord, that's given us hope. And God, I cry out, Lord, that today that we could feel that hope, that we could believe that hope, that one day you will return, that you will liberate this place, that you will liberate this creation, you will liberate this earth, and that we will be home, that we will enjoy your people, that we will enjoy your creation, and that we will enjoy you, knowing that you have redeemed all things. God, we praise you, Lord. We know for certain that this will come by the groanings and the cries that you cried out on the cross. God, we thank you that you lost your standing with God so that we could stand with you. And if there's anyone in here 
that you want to be adopted, you want to be brought in, you want to have that assurance, you want to quit living a life of fear, quit living a life of insecurity, quit living a life of what could tomorrow face and just being scared. If you want that life, I just ask you to cry out and say, God, I need you. I I surrender. I fall down on my knees and I admit that I'm broken. I admit that I'm flawed. I admit that I've sinned against you, but I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you took my groanings onto yourself so that when I cry, you could hear me, so that you could free me, so that you could restore me. And if you pray that prayer, the Lord says that you are saved and that you are adopted and you've received an inheritance that won't fade. And if you've done that, could you just write on your connection card that you gave your life to Christ? And we would love to pray with you. We'd love to follow up with you. God, we love you, Lord. We, we praise you, God, that you fell to the depths so that we could have an eternal standing with you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.